women have been trained culturally to be more retiring. And this comes from social and cultural reasons. However, the real place where men and women come together and can involve themselves in their sexual desire is in the blessing bed. Hey, you're listening to the Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to do this marriage thing and experience God in the process. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Let's get started. Brothers, we've had sisters, we've had we've tried to have a wide array of people, but we also really wanted to wax intellectual and we wanted to talk about the vastness of this topic because sex, a lot of people think of it in a very small way. It's just like a penis and a vagina or whatever, some body parts doing something, but then there's a whole lot more to it in the opinion of true parents for sure, the divine aspect that often gets ignored. So we wanted to kind of delve into that. And so this is not, uh, we're not selling anything to anybody, right? This is a conversation amongst a worldwide family and people want to hear what you guys have to say. So it's going to be casual. So please speak and let God speak through you. And the first question is thus, if you are ready. We often hear how the sexual relationship is a way to connect to God. How does that work? And trust me, we get this question a lot because people are like, where does God fit into all this, right? Love to hear your opinions on that. I'm putting it out there into the cosmos. <laughs> First of all, the universe is sexual. God is sexual. The entirety, yeah, whether you ascribe to the notion that the Big Bang was actually like an orgasm in which the stars were scattered across the universe, or what your thinking might be, we can look at this whole universe as male and female. And I mean, what are you looking at when you look at a flower? All of these things. What are we looking at when you look at a flower? Uh, you're basically looking at its vagina. And because that is where the flower, the reproduction happens. The bees go there. Everything goes there. The flowering of the universe is in all of us. So in order to really understand a sexual relationship, we have to have a connection with God. Anything else is secondary and doesn't bring us the kind of joy because we're not plugged into the universe. I am very excited because we got to flowers and vaginas within the first two minutes of this talk. So <laughs> it's going to be a great time. Well, just no disrespect of Robert or Tyler, but being connected to this queen, let me respond to her deep wisdom. I'm a little bit like you, Andrew, that I have a deep appreciation of the street. And there's a great blues song that said, I'm a king, be baby, won't you be my queen? Together we can make honey the world has never seen. <laughs> you know, can I just, as an aside, I told Sammy, because Sammy hasn't met you formally like I have, and I said verbatim, John is the kind of guy that has a song in his back pocket at all times, and he just whipped out a song. <laughs> Well, I think it speaks to the glory and power of sex that men have been writing about it sometimes in a coarse, ignorant way and sometimes in a beautiful, poignant way. So, hey, we've been discovering yeah. talking about it, but human beings have been wrestling with understanding the largeness of sex since the Big Bang. Sure. 
Thank you guys. What about Dr. Kittle? Yeah, I appreciate Sandra's comment that sexuality must include God within it. I think that's really paramount. I would like to share, if I may, in terms of an introductory remark, a series of like four or five PowerPoint presentations. I'll jump into that if I may. And one of the questions that we were to deal with was, why do you think God designed sex the way it is? And I've struggled with this question to try and emphasize the importance and sacredness of sex. And I found one of the best ways to do that was to examine what is the difference between animal sex and human sexuality. And if we understand that difference, then it gives us a clearer focus on the sacredness of sexuality from God's perspective. So I looked around. I used to raise bees. And when they mate, the drone will catch the queen. They mate in midair. And Father says we're supposed to imitate all the animals. I think this is a tough one to do. But anyway, (laughs) after they mate, then they try to separate. But the sexual organ of the drone stays inside the queen bee. He can't get it out. And so it rips his abdomen and he falls to the ground dead. So scientists call this sexual suicide. This is one difference between human sex and animal sex. And cannibalism within the praying mantis, after they have sex and the male tries to dismount, the female will turn her head 180 degrees, bite off the head of the man, and then (laughs) devour him. So that's called sexual cannibalism. Aha, that's another difference. But these are important. The salmon, as we know, because of father's extensive fishing, I'm sure he's taken as many there to Alaska, They call it Big Bang spawning, referring to the Big Bang, which Sandra talked about, because the salmons turn red when they spawn and then they die afterwards. In the mammal world, sexuality is initiated by estrus, and it seems like only when the female is fertile do they have sex. Okay, so these are some of the differences. In our human sexuality, interestingly, we have sex when the woman is fertile ages, what, 15 to 45, something like that. But unique to human sexuality is that we have sex in menopause when the woman is not fertile and cannot conceive a child. This is amazingly interesting. So let's put a summary here. The difference between animals and human beings, and then I'll draw the conclusion. Animals sometimes die after sex. Yes, they do. We don't. We shouldn't. Anyway, (laughs) animals, they die and then they give birth. They do and we shouldn't. Infertile sex. Animals do not have infertile sex, and we do. And we're supposed to have lifelong sex, and it's supposed to be monogamous. I believe Mother has given us a really important answer. She said, we marry in order to resemble God. God exists as a being of dual characteristics. So that means the purpose of human sexuality is that we marry to resemble God. So it's not just a man or a woman, but it's together, a man and woman. Then when they do that, we're supposed to have sex for our whole life because it's the glue that binds us together. For me, (laughs) when I fight with my wife, we haven't really solved the problem until we have a sexual relationship afterwards. Then I feel, ah, we're back to normal again. So I think God wanted us to live forever. He had to let us have sex because we're going to fight occasionally our whole life. And then a man and woman are supposed to be monogamous because there's one God 
And therefore, for our sexual relationship to be in the image of God, we need to have this monogamous relationship to God. I'll close there. Let Tyler comes on. Welcome, Tyler. And thank you again for hosting this High Noon Global Summit. It's an amazing event. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. Welcome, Dr. Hendricks. You made it. Oh, thank thank you. you. There's a saying called, can't stop, won't stop. And we're not, we're not going to let you stop. We, we need you. We love you. <laughs> thank you. We just kind of hopped right in and got into how does God fit into this equation of, of sexuality? And we had a great response from the Lowens. And then we just had a little presentation from Dr. Kittle. So do you have anything to say about this? Yeah. Can I share a screen? Do a PowerPoint too? Okay. It's yeah. high noon. Don't forget your sunblock. I made up a new song. It's called Porn Free. Porn free, as free as the wind blows. You got it, right? Okay. <laughs> Porn free to follow your star. Here's what Sandra was talking about in nerd language. You've got Heavenly Father on the left here and Heavenly Mother on the right. And they are the union of man and woman, the union of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother is our parent and is heavenly parent. So heavenly parent is one because heavenly father and heavenly mother in conjugal love are one. So that's the Trinity. That's the formula of the Trinity. And it's how we can have heavenly father and heavenly mother as distinct persons and heavenly parent as one person being the sexual, spiritual, sung sang, hyung sang, spiritual, physical, heart energy union of the male and female, which is the Godhead. So yesterday I heard Dr. Balcom talk about the Family Federation. And when father and mother created the Family Federation, that father, I didn't hear his whole talk, but I think this is what he was saying that fathers at the establishment of Family Federation, father gave this speech called In Search of the Origin of the Universe. Yeah. And it was all, all about sex, sexual organs. And so I'll conclude with this. Even though true father, true parents made Family Federation as about sex, you know, we didn't really catch that totally, but gradually it takes time. But still we were focused on Heavenly Father. Now a true mother is bringing in heavenly mother and heavenly parent. By virtue of talking about heavenly parent, we're including heavenly mother. And so that's the significance of this effort to evolve our self-consciousness and self-awareness as in this effort to call ourselves heavenly parent church um, as a step forward from Family Federation, because it's moving to the level of this, what Sandra's talking about, that the whole universe is sexual, and God is our parent. And to be somebody's parent means you have to have sex, because parenting comes out of sex. Okay, that's the end of my speech. Thank you for <laughs> listening. Would anybody else like to, did anybody else get ideas from that or want to riff off that?
I think what Sandra and Dr. Hendricks have said, the Lowens, is that the whole universe is sexual. I would even trump that and say, in fact, the entire Bible is sexual, from Genesis to Revelations. And I say that because I'm looking more closely at really the principle, and of course we see it in Genesis through Father's insight. But then I looked at the culture that God created for the Jewish people in which Jesus would be born. And that culture is saturated with sexuality. And it's a unique sexuality because most of the world, sexuality is, you know, orgies and gay sex and almost anything they want. And it's a unique kind of divine inspiration that somehow these people realized sex should only be in marriage. And it's so strong in Judaism that. You can't be, how to say, an elected official unless you're married, and you cannot be on the high court, the Sanhedrin, unless you're married and have kids. And then when you go to the New Testament, they carried on this same purity of sexuality. I looked online, and there was one website that gave me a hundred Bible verses about sexual immorality, and 77 of those were in the New Testament. So clearly, the teachings of Jesus brought that purity of sexuality into the New Testament. And then the conclusion of the Bible is the marriage supper of the Lamb, the most glorious event described in the Bible. I mean, if you go to Revelations 21, it's amazing. It's going to be a golden city with jewels and crystals, and there'll be no night and no evil. And so in my mind, everything in the Bible is how do we build a God-centered marriage and create a culture that supports that God-centered marriage? That's the Bible in my mind. And again, as you're saying, the Bible starts with the preparation of a couple and ends with a marriage feast. So the whole thing is getting this couple through to the point that there is this gigantic wedding. So yes, it's a whole testament, if you will, to marriage and to the family. And that's why I think True Father continued to speak more about sexuality many of his speeches, some of which I was sitting on the front row, where he was very graphic, and I think took us to a real understanding of why the blessing, why it was necessary, and what we could hope for. I just wanted to add to Sandra's piece, starting with what Andrew talked about when he introduced, he was talking about people who had chewed on the word, chewed on the light. I think I've chewed on Sandra's light more than just the, the light of God. And I think that's very important because from a Jewish perspective, the temple is actually the woman's body. And God's dwelling place is even in the womb. So I just want to share without getting graphic details about Sandra and my personal sexual relationship that there's a very, a very clear awareness on my part that the God who created, the masculine God who took the initiative, he's more interested in Sandra than me. Sexuality is a feminine aspect of God. We're talking about a sexual relationship. Women are more interested in relationship than men are. So I think a key piece is for us, you know, we have this expertise and we can talk about it, but I think we have to have an awareness that something's going on with God and woman. And I've experienced that. Yeah. If you look at just the nature of man and woman, it's interesting that God entrusted the child 
with women. God, if he had wanted to, half the time men could have been pregnant and women the other time. It's kind of interesting that it plays itself out that way. Also, in terms of subjectivity, the sperm goes to the egg. The egg doesn't go to the sperm. It's also interesting, as well as the fact that in terms of trust with a woman, there's one egg. With men, it's like, hey, if the first one doesn't get it, we got another billion that can work can, can work it out. So I think God's making some pretty powerful statements through what's going on with all of this. And also in the very beginning, God, when he created Adam, he didn't say, oh, I've done it, my masterpiece. No, God looks at Adam and says, mm, something's not right. You need a help me. So I think all the questions that we're talking about where things go wrong come from the fact that men don't know how to deal with the power of women that can help us where we need help. So just want to share quickly another song, just one I wrote about my queen. You're the reason blood is red and why the sky is blue. If you were to ever leave, I could never get over you. Because you're a river, true woman, the big fish in every man's life. Your love isn't cheap. That's why I'm paying my keep with blood and sacrifice. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's foreplay where I come from. There Look you out. go. <laughs> and in Sandra's world, talking is foreplay. This is foreplay for everyone who's listening. That's Amazing. true. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Hendricks, you have your nose in a book and it seems to be fishing something out of there. Well, yeah, I'm not finding it. But I wanted to, it's a living read by Pearl Buck. It's all about Korea. And there's one place in it, and I couldn't find it, where she says, I mean, she grew up in China, right? She lived in Korea for a while. Um, that, and I don't, if it was Korean culture or Chinese culture, at some point in their civilizational history, where, and it was this where men, who could be executed for looking at women in the wrong way. And Jesus said, if you look at a woman with your eyes, you know, with lust in your eyes, you're already committed adultery. And we know that adultery, when you commit adultery, you die, according to the Genesis commandment. So, so the Chinese or Koreans or both were actually putting that into practice. If you look at it, so ever since I read that, I've really been, I've, that has added power to me to control my eyes. Because if I look at a woman, you know, in the wrong way, I could get arrested and executed, you know? I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty Old Testament, right? That's pretty, that does the Jews proud, right? Okay, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> and just amen to everything that, uh, and I got one more thing to say, but maybe I'll bring it up after we get more uh, passionate in our discussion. <laughs> you got to work me, up uh, to passionate. <laughs> my first experience in Korea, I went there and wanted to buy a gift for my wife. And I looked at the display case in the shop and there was this little I don't know, it looked very cute and curly and nice. And I asked the shopkeeper what it was. And then he took it apart and it was a sheath and a knife. And it was beautifully decorated. And I said, what is that for? And he said, well, the woman would wear it on her dress. And I said, well, why would a woman want to carry a knife? And he said, in case she's attacked. 
So the knight took the knife, acting as if, oh, she would defend herself and try to kill the man. And the shopkeeper said, no, she would take the knife and kill herself rather than be raped. And so I thought, wow, this is the culture I think Dr. Hendricks is talking about that has raised up the purity of sexuality and gave birth to our true parents. I mean, it couldn't have happened outside of a culture that was prepared. So anyway, so I bought that little gift and gave it to my wife. <laughs> she still has it. Thank you, yeah. Okay, nice. Called a silver knife, I think is the correct, I don't know the Korean word, but it's called silver knife. Anyway, beautiful. Thank you. Again, if you guys get inspiration, please, please go with it. But we do have some good questions in terms of the interplay of sexuality that there's usually a difference in sex drive. There's usually different perspectives and definitely how men view sexuality and women view sexuality are usually worlds apart. And I'd love to get your perspective on why that is. Why would God set that up? Because for some people, it's torture and they, why God, why? You know, it's kind of frustrating, but obviously there's, there's some reason there, right? Because if we were all the same, there wouldn't be diversity. There would not be fun and joy. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on why God created such a different starting point for men and women regarding sexuality and how that looks. Well, I'll start off. Yeah, first we have specialists there. Go ahead. I'm going to let you guys go first. <laughs> so we have to look culturally. We can't make the assumption that men are more interested and women are less interested, which is usually the way we are. I mean, God is not raising up a colony or a uh, gender of victims and predators. And that should never be the situation in our marriages. Women have been trained culturally to be more retiring. And this comes from social and cultural reasons. However, the real place where men and women come together and can involve themselves in their sexual desire is in the blessing bed. So we never want to give women the idea, oh, I retire, my husband will do everything and I will just be accepting because that is not God's ideal. The universe is made to embrace both men and women's sexuality. But we do have to take that cultural piece into mind. If you have been raised in a culture that says, well, I'll give you an example. One of my clients came in and she said, I have a question for you. My mother says, that I should never look at men and men are scary. And the man, well, just to use her language, the man's penis turns into a snake and he bites you and you bleed and it's scary and it hurts. She says, but when I talk to my girlfriends at school, they tell me, oh no, it's a wonderful experience because her girlfriends had relations with men. Which one do I believe? And my response to her at the time, I was still a virgin. I had no idea what to tell her, but God in his way sends an answer. And so down the street comes a beautiful Ferrari, bright red, man and woman behind the wheel, hair blowing in the breeze, sun glinting everywhere. And I said, sexuality for men and women is like that, what just went by us here. It's wonderful. It's the best experience. It's the greatest experience. But you have to know how to control it. And you have to have a license. And this is something that I think we do. I don't know your sexual training when you were children. And by the way, she decided I was probably right. And she thought she'd wait till she got blessed. And 
got a license. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> and she has several children now. But we're in the situation where we have the responsibility of raising our young people to either fear their sexuality or to be somehow dominated by it. Because we have put certain taboos, if you look at the way we raise our boys versus the way we raise our girls, in some ways we perpetuate this kind of disparity. So you were all little kids growing up at some point. How old were you when an adult said to you, so what grade are you in? And you said second grade or third grade or first grade, whatever grade you were in. The next question was always, do you have a girlfriend yet? Then what kind of training is that for a little boy? He learns quite early, if he doesn't have one, that maybe he ought to have one. And so we, as parents, have to watch what we say to our children. And we have to recognize that it is we that determine those levels of interest. And so what, what would be the healthy way of approaching that as a parent, to, like in this modern culture of ours? <laughs> Parents should be honest with their children. This lady who's telling her child about snakes, of course the little girl is going to find out that she's not going to be bitten by a snake. She's going to get into a situation where my mother's an idiot. So we have to be honest with our children, first of all. Secondly, many times when I talk to especially our young people, they will say to me, I don't know if my parents love each other or not. I never see them together. They don't sit together in church. They don't work together. They don't, when they're at home, they hardly talk. I never see them touch each other or hug each other or anything. And that's not the case all the time. But we have to allow our sexuality, and I'm not talking about blatant way out there sex, but we have to allow our own sexuality to be visible because that is where our children get hope. From affection, that kind of stuff? Affection. Because our children get hope from that. Mommy treats daddy this way. Daddy treats mommy this way. When I have a wife, I want my wife to be like that. I want my husband to be like that. As I say to people, one of the greatest things that I ever heard, talking to our son, he's 16 years old, just driving. We're in the back of the car, just kind of being parents. And he says to us suddenly, I really want the blessing. And we said, why? And he said the most precious words, five of the most precious words. I'll never forget them. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with someone you love or leave a five-star review because the only way this podcast spreads around is through word of mouth. So a share or a review would go a long way and it only takes like 10 seconds to do. Thanks. Back to the show. I want what you have. And if we get our children to want what we have and tell them how to get it and what they need to do, you don't have to worry about it. How to get their license. Yeah. How to get their license. I want to add a little something to what Sandra very <laughs> eloquently shared. Another song. <laughs> well, song in my heart, you know, everything comes from inspiration. Everything goes better with music, as Tyler well knows. And, and if I could sing it, I would, but I'm not that advanced at this time. <laughs> but I think there are some real differences between men and women. Because men, we're competitive. Just like I said, 
in conception, a bi- about a billion sperm are released, and it doesn't start with unison prayer. Now, some of us are not going to make it, but we- let's appreciate everybody for that. That's not the way it is. It's everybody fighting to get to their own. So that kind of competition and the terrible anxiety we go through because none of us like to lose. So losing brings out violent feelings. So we're, we're at one of these two extremes. We're either domesticated wimps who don't show our anger that no woman is truly interested in, or we're raging out of control that women are scared of. So it's hard for our, our feelings, which are we're kind of hardwired to be insecure because we're going to lose much of the time because there's 8 billion other men on the planet who want to win too. So it's hard to get our minds and our emotions together. But I think that's why God gave us a helpmate. So when I look at the man, there's like three nations fighting. There's the mind nation, the heart nation, and the body nation, the central figure of which is the sexual organ. (laughs) So the mind gets out and proclaims all the ideals. This is what we believe, and this is what we do. And then the heart says, don't listen to this guy. He He talks a good game, but he doesn't do that. And then the sexual organ says, these two don't get along. Hostile takeover. This is this is a shootout. I'm taking over, and that's kind of how it goes. So, but in contrast to that, my queen's mind, her heart, and the sexual organ. I swear to God, Tyler, I can't tell when which one is talking. They're all the same. They're in unison. Yes, they're they're. they're it's just different. Men and women are different. So. The only way men can get their stuff together is to be able to be vulnerable in front of my woman, okay? Now, in terms of the promiscuity and wanting just one man, one woman, we're not wired that way to be interested that way, okay? Sandra, though, solved that problem for me because the thought of being able to get my mind and my heart together, that's worth giving up a lot of this other nonsense for. Because basically, all that nonsense is projections of my fantasies of who I would be if my mind and heart were together. So women have to do something to make us want to be monogamous, to be deep enough to pull us together. And just being a female and being pure doesn't do that. It requires some depth. It takes something for the mind, the heart, and the sexual organ to become one. And I think we need to protect our our women from the shame that men feel because we can't get our minds and hearts together. And that violence gets projected onto women. But I think if we can own our insecurity, it can be a sacred thing. I was always trying to impress Sandra with how together I was and turned out she wasn't that impressed. But when I came vulnerable and said, baby, I really need some help. Whoa, look out what came out. Oh, interesting. Sounds a bit like Men were taking something that wasn't theirs, kind of like thieves in the night kind of thing. Well, more worse than that. If that was, if we were just stealing, but the cover up was worse than the thievery. Hmm. The pretense of who we are and who we tell our younger brothers and sisters what it means to be a man, that's worse uh, than the stealing. Because I was trained to be a thief by my brother, who I desperately wanted to impress. I was thinking two things that struck my mind as you were talking, John. I agree very much that the relationship between men and women, they think differently, act like they are different. I read an article, reread an article actually by Dennis Prager about why Judaism rejected homosexuality. And in that he said that the number of men who engage in sex with men over their lifetime is about 
500 on average. The number of lesbians who engage with sex with other women is about, well, he said less than 10. So I thought about that and I said, that tells us something about the nature of sexuality. For men, sex is about sex. I mean, for, for men, the orgasm is kind of, yeah, <laughs> it's like the thing. But for women, it's the relationship. And so fathers talked about living for the sake of others. So we need sex for the sake of others. So men need to not only have sex for the sake of sex, but sex for the sake of the relationship. And women also, not only sex for the relationship, but sex for the sake of sex. And I think these then complement each other. And then you've got a really powerful union that comes from that. But in terms of preventative or protective sexuality, I think the most important element of sexuality is filial piety, where we learn to live for the sake of our parents. And then if we love our parents, then that will immediately impact how we treat our brothers and sisters. If I love my parents, then I want to treat my brother and sister because I love my parents. And how would they treat them? And especially in the nursery, you learn if you hit a playmate, then you get the wrath of the parent. And if you share your toys, you get the praise. And there's a lesson that is being learned there that needs to be brought into even the teenage years. How do I treat the opposite sex? And I have to have the heart of a parent. And when parents have children, of course, they want them to be successful. They want them to be healthy. They want them to be financially well off. But the most deepest heart of a parent is that a child be blessed in marriage and they have a successful family. So if we have that filial heart inside of us and treat our women accordingly and women, men, of course, then I think that is the most powerful preventive. And we've lost that filial piety actually in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden itself. I just wanted to ask about, is that through building a life of faith? Is that what you're suggesting? Uh, it includes that, but I would say it is a artistic, vibrant, ongoing communication. It, the key is communication. I cannot emphasize that enough. If you're talking honestly and openly with your parents, you will have a artistic relationship. And you look at Adam and Eve. God gave the commandment, don't eat. Well, what did Adam say back? Did he say, thank you? Did he say, well, why not? Did Adam communicate with God at all? Or did Eve communicate with God? Eve was communicating easily with the archangel. Why not with her older brother? Why not with God? So that artistic communication of filial relationship builds and strengthens the heart constantly. Yeah, that's really deep. Thank you. Dr. Hendricks, do you want to jump in on this? I'll take it back to the God, the God and sex question. What John just explained in my diagram, what we have, I believe, is that everything starts with Heavenly Father, and Heavenly Father is alone, as True Father explains. He's, he's lonely, he's miserable, he's going crazy because he's alone, and there's no time or space, there's no light or dark, nothing except himself. And so he has to imagine an object partner, somebody to love. And since something that exists is greater than something that doesn't exist, God must exist. So God, Heavenly Father, imagined an object partner. He didn't know what it was. He just imagined. And he threw himself into that imagined existence. And he threw himself 
as father teaches, thousand percent. So there was nothing left. He was at zero point, father's term, zero point. There was nothing left. So this is what John was saying when he's vulnerable. He gives everything. And Sandra at that point could say, could wipe him up with a piece of toilet paper and flush him down the toilet. Nothing left. So that's what God did. Heavenly Father did. And that projection of God, of Heavenly Father's imagination became his second self. Another word from two parents, second self. And this second self is Heavenly Mother. But now Heavenly Mother is also completely by herself because there's no Heavenly Father anymore because he's zero. So now she goes through that exact same process and makes a decision to love and to throw herself back into the into nothing, and fought, Heavenly Father receives Heavenly Mother's return. So John gave everything to Sandra, and then Sandra says, I can trust John. He gave me everything, and I'll give him back everything. So she returns everything of herself. So she becomes zero, and he becomes one again now. So you've got one becomes zero and makes one. And then that one becomes zero and creates one. And you've got this, and what happens is reciprocation, which is the the original eternal existence of God. Because circular motion is eternal of complete and one. And it's always one and zero, one and zero, one and zero. And one plus zero is one. So heavenly parent is one. So that's the way I like metaphysicalize or theologize what John just described and Sandra just described and what every and every human couple, ideally, ideal man and woman, husband, wife, experience that. And when they experience that, when they do that, heavenly parent comes down and participates. And the whole cosmos resonates. All the male and female angels are resonating with that, as well as the physical creation. And Sometimes a new person is created, the child. Okay. End of theology lecture. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. I was just thinking about what you were talking about versus pornography. And they're not even like the same language or the same, you know, it's totally, totally, totally different. It's much, it's beautiful is what I'm saying. I just wanted to acknowledge we have a question from the audience. And so I'd I'd love to chew on that together. And that is, if God and the universe are sexual, why is sex such a taboo in our church? How (laughs) How can we paint sex in a positive light for our younger generation? Well, I would reference Stephen Covey, with Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He starts with the end in mind, right? So... I have a lot of respect for Tyler as the theologian because Tyler does the nasty work of breaking things down logically. And at the end, Tyler got excited. There was something was going on. <laughs> you felt something there, brother. And I said, wow. Oh, okay. Let's give our intellectual props because that's not, I don't want to do all that work, but Tyler did. And then we felt the passion that he felt by feeling that. So in the end, we got to feel something. Okay, so to be sexual, you need to talk to someone who knows something about it. 
So it really doesn't matter what the church says. Find someone who looks like they're in love. You want, you want to become a good plumber? Don't talk to me. What do I know about plumbing, right? You want, you want to talk to, uh, you want to find out how to be a good comedian? Don't go to Tyler Hendricks. He's serious. Oh, come on. He's pretty funny. He's pretty funny. Well, I think he prefers the deep thought to a good punchline. My, just my prejudice or bias. You know, you got to go to someone who has a victory in that area. So uh, I think we need to showcase our couples more. I'm so blessed to have this woman as my partner. And I wouldn't think of speaking anywhere without her, unless it's a brothers only meeting. where we going to get real and deal. But I just think we need to reflect couples more in how we present. And I would love to see next time more of our spouses present and to talk that way. I think there's a difference between the idea of love and the experience of love. I think we need to have, in addition to the the theological, we need the experiential. We need to hear from women who love sex, men who are in awe of their women. We, We need to see that more. Yeah. Well, just to note, we did have a heavenly intimacy session maybe three hours ago. Well, you're in your 24-hour day. (laughs) Well, God, wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, Yeah, there was. That goes to the second half of the question, which is how can we paint sex in a positive light for our younger generation? Let me chime in on that. The taboo or the prohibition of something that is dangerous, addictive, and dangerous individually and also socially, that taboo is good. It's protective. And it's what every parent would do to the children. Don't run into the street. Don't put your hand on the stove. And so it's important. But I do agree with the question and that we emphasize so much about keeping purity. I think we have to change our narrative and we have to focus on filial piety. Filial piety, I'm going back to what I said before, is the basis of protecting yourself. It develops your conscience, so you are self-governing. And if filial piety, in my mind, was the cause of the fall, the misuse of sex was the result. And then with that, of course, you have the second lineage. But the ultimate cause, Adam didn't have a filial relationship with God. Eve didn't have, according to the Bible. God had given so much. He created. He gave them in his image. He gave them three blessings. He said, take dominion over everything. He breathed his spirit. And you don't see any gratitude or appreciation in the Bible on either Adam or Eve's behalf in relationship to their parents. And again, back to communication. But communication isn't just talking. It's also listening. So in my mind, I think our church needs to focus more on filial piety. And mother is doing that. Mother is taking us in that direction with Hyo Jung, the emphasis on filial piety as the root cause. And if you look at her speeches on all the summits that I've looked at, and I've been to many and listened to the others, or at least read them, she says that Adam and Eve developed a greedy heart. The greed, the selfishness was the cause of the fall of man. I appreciate so much True Mother's insight and bringing us to that area with the concept of Hyojem. So I agree with the context of the sentence. We've got to shift our focus as a church, but I think also we have to kind of say, well, taboos are good if they're protective. And if something is very precious, then you put more protection around it. If you've got gold and diamonds, you're not going to just put them in the drawer and lock the door. You're going to have a vault. Things that are more precious require more protection. So I think it's good. 
what we yeah, I completely I completely agree with that the filial piety because yeah uh, I'll just tell one little story. My mom, I believe that I could survive the '60s, even though I did my uh, you know it was a, near, a close call because of my mom, and I I had a good relationship with her, and she loved me so much, and she she showed me her body, her naked body. I went into the bathroom once. She's taking a bath and she come on in and I'm sitting on the toilet and she says, you can look, every woman's body looks like this. And I didn't like, okay, mom, yeah, I'm 13, 12 years old. But that stuck with me and it did something inside of me. I mean, I did my bad stuff, but somehow God could use that thread to pull me through and leave me. And when I got to true parents, I was saved. And so that I think within a filial piety context, there can be a lot of openness. Father once said, I heard anyway, secondhand maybe, that three generations of married couples, you know, grandparents, parents, children married, could all have sex in the same room at the same time. You know, so that's pretty open about sex. But in terms of the larger society, you don't want it on billboards. You don't want it in magazines. You know, it, you, it's got to be where God wants it to be in the temple, like John said, in the tabernacle, where God dwells in the home, home church, in the bedroom. Okay. I would say this as well. We need to teach our children not to compartmentalize. The issue with pornography is that we're looking, we're learning to look at breasts as separate, as at the vagina as separate, looking at whatever, the buttocks as separate. And we have to more value men and women as whole beings. We can do this in the family as father values mother, as sister values brother, as we value our friends and as we take that to the outside. Our children are bombarded in ways that we never were. And we have to teach them. I'm always moved by that Aretha Franklin song. I'm not singing. Ain't going <laughs> to do you wrong while you're gone. Ain't going to do you wrong because I don't want to. We have to teach that this is such a precious and priceless thing that why would you mess it up? Otherwise, our children are always wondering we don't, 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 don't. Why don't? And we don't give adequate answers. They need those answers and they need them to be sufficient and satisfied. I just finally want to elaborate very quickly in response to Robert Kittle's talk about filial piety. In the origin, God, masculine and feminine God, they already worked their stuff out. So we're getting the unified love of mommy and daddy. Very few of us have gotten that yet. We got daddy's love and we got mommy's love, but we didn't get the unified love of mommy and daddy. So if we're going to be truly filial piety, pious people, we have to become, reflect God, that our parents can't tell, is this mommy or daddy talking? So just being uh, obedient or faithful to our parents is not going to get the job done if our parents haven't done their job. So the buck stops with us. My parents were not united, but rather than complaining about my parents, I'm going to complete the job that they couldn't complete. So God in origin, division, union, masculine, feminine, God are one. 
How many of our children have had that experience where they've gotten the love of mommy and daddy? Most of us, most of the second generation I've talked to, they haven't experienced that yet. Well, what you just said is the second half of the question was how do we paint sex in a positive light? So you're talking about the literal painting of what I'm seeing here, that couple, you are the painting, you are the light, right? So that's, that comes back to peace starts with me and everything comes back to us. We started out with God, vaginas, and flowers, and we ended up with we need to model our belief systems in order to be models. So we went to the vastness, and now we came back to the granular, and that gives people a very solid action step, which is start to embody these things. And like uh, Uncle John, like you said, the theme of this entire summit is connection. And so when you do have questions, we always... Google is the worst place to get any answers that have anything to do with heart because Google has no heart. It's a computer. Go to somebody with a heart that is filled up with love if you want to receive answers about questions of the heart. We have some amazing panelists here. Are you all okay with people if they were really inspired and they'd like to send you emails loving you and or asking you questions? Is everybody okay with that? That's absolutely. absolutely. More than awesome. okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, thank you all so much for coming. This was this is really great. I think it was a lot of fun. I hope you had fun. And I hope everybody watching had a, had a lot of fun chewing on this stuff too. Because again, we just want to present many different opportunities for sparks to fly from around the world. People were listening in from around the globe to ideas from people from around the globe. And this is what makes God lose his mind, lose her mind, because there's so much potential for artistry and for magic to happen. So please take these concepts Talk about them with the people that you that you know. Embody them, live them, question them, you know, all this stuff. But don't do it by yourself. Do it with the people in your community. That's why they're in your life. That's why we're trying to facilitate this whole thing. So thank you all for coming so much. And God bless thank you. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you. Hey, if you want to improve your relationship or take your sex life to the next level, well, you're in luck because more than 70% of couples that take our love and integrity course said that the quality of their sexual relationship improved after joining the course. Sounds good? You can join the program today with your spouse or just take the course by yourself at loveandintegrity.com. See you in the next episode.